Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Hey, Rudder Nation, this is your host, Jerry Dugan, and on this episode, we've got special guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough, and he's going to share with us his story of Army leadership, the lessons he learned from Army leadership, what he does to keep himself unstuck from a rut, and how he's inspired other people, future leaders of the military, of their communities, and even our country to live their lives in a way that's intentional, that inspires others, and we're just kind of changing the world in that way. So leadership, very powerful. Uh, We're going to talk about how to lead ourselves, how to lead others, and leave that leadership legacy that you want to leave. Uh, All right. So with that said, Oak, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jerry. Thanks for having me on the show. I've been looking forward to this. Same here. Uh, we connected through, I think, LinkedIn. And when I saw that you were retired Army, you had the Stetson hat on your profile. I was like, oh, this guy's a tanker. All right, cool. Uh, it turns out you're also an infantry guy and you've, you've worn multiple hats in your career in the military. And I was like, this, this guy's spot on. This is ideal with what I'm passionate about with this show and coming from an angle, a culture that I understand, which is the U.S. Army. So I'm glad we were able to make this work. Yeah, absolutely. I am too. Awesome. Now, if I understand correctly, when I was uh, reading through some of your book, uh, Your Leadership Legacy, uh, you started your education at West Point, said, this isn't tough enough. I'm going to transfer over to another university. And you were in the ROTC program there. So you you went through the ROTC program and then joined the Army as an officer. Uh, And it sounds like if I read the preface or the introduction correctly, um, it was written by somebody named... Uh, Smith, who is not named Smith anymore. And That's right. It's a. I feel like there's a meet cute story in this. Tell us who is the Smith. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I left West Point. I helped my father run his bar for a couple for about eighteen months, and uh, then I started at Northern Illinois University, and I joined the ROTC program. I still knew I wanted to be an officer in the Army, and uh, met this young lady. Kelly Smith, uh, who was in our Army ROTC as well as a nurse. She was a nursing student. Oh, wow. And, um, and we got, we were good friends. We saw each other every day, never dated, um, while, while we were in ROTC. I think we, I know I probably, I wanted to date her, but every time I, I didn't have a, a girlfriend, she had a boyfriend, whatever. It didn't work out, but we had our first date about two weeks after she graduated because she graduated two, about a year, six months before I did. So about two weeks after we graduated, we had our first date, and that was in May, and we were engaged in June, July, and we were married in January, and that was 36 and a half years ago. Man, wow. And, you know, the military, we have to move fast because you don't know where you're going to be in the next six months. <laughs> yeah, well, and she she was an Army nurse for eight yeah. years, and uh, and during our whole first assignment there at Fort Stewart, she was, she was a nurse working, and while I was... When I get deployed to the first Gulf War, uh, we had our 18-month-old son, and she was seven months pregnant when I left, mm. still working full-time as an Army nurse with the son, and uh, and I didn't even see my daughter till she was five months old. So, yeah, um, yeah that, that, that's, that's the Army. That's the way it is. Yeah, I, I can relate to that because uh, when I deployed with 3rd Infantry Division— uh, that was in 2003, early, yeah, early 2003. Uh, my son was a year and a half. 
my wife was at home uh, and our daughter was, you know, going to be a brand new baby. She was about three months old when I finally got to yeah. meet her and uh, very colicky baby from what I understand. But I didn't see that because as soon as I came home and held her, a lot of that went away. But if you've seen the movie Speed, uh, my daughter was like the bus. If you slowed down below a certain speed, she exploded in crying. <laughs> so it, it looked like for the next year, all I had, all I could do was hold her facing out and just keep moving. The yeah. moment I stopped, she started crying. The moment I had her face the other way, cry. Uh, if I held her any other different way, cry. Uh, and so uh, she's our cat is a lot like her actually, uh, Bailey. Uh, is a lot like Emma. Emma's the daughter. Bailey's the cat. Um, I think my cat is my daughter in cat form. It's it's really weird. There you go. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so your career has spanned a number of decades. You've you've led in combat zones. You've deployed in peacekeeping operations. Uh, kind of hard to just sum all that up in just a few minutes. Uh, but what would you say was the most pivotal? Pivotal. That's that's not a real word, everybody. Uh, pivotal <laughs> piece of advice you picked up early on that like laid the foundation for the legacy you've built in your leadership career. Yeah, so I I'm, I was lucky. I had a couple of great mentors who eventually ended up retiring. Two, three, four star generals. Why they picked me, I don't know, but I, I was lucky that they did. And 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 they were servant leaders. The best leaders that I had. The ones I can remember, the ones that I wanted to em- emulate, were all servant leaders. And I always tell this story because it was I was a senior first lieutenant, and I had just started. I was working as a staff officer in a cav squadron as an infantry officer, um, which was interesting in itself. Right. <laughs> but I, I was a, the assistant S three air, so I was the one writing the operations orders for the upcoming events and field problems and all that. And I had a boss, the S3, a major, who was one of those guys that believed, if I'm in the office, you're in the office. If I don't oh. care if you don't have anything to do. If I'm in the office, you're going to be in the office. And and he wasn't married. And so he was in the office a lot till six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And we were all miserable. I mean, we were just in there doing busy work, just just doing nothing. And so we got a brand new major came in. And first day, I'm sitting there at five o'clock and I'm working on an op order that's due a month from now. I mean, just again, busy work, nothing, nothing important. And he stuck his head at five o'clock. He stuck his head around the door frame and he said, Oak, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm working on this operations order. And he said, is it due tomorrow? And I said, no. He said, then go home, spend time with your family. And that stuck with me. And when I became an, uh, an operations officer, when I became an S3, the first day, I called everybody in the office together, and I said, look, there's going to be times when I need you to be here till 8 o'clock at night, but if I do, I will tell you that. Otherwise, at 5 o'clock, go home and do whatever it is you do at home. I don't want to know what that is, but go do whatever it is you do. Yeah. That I- made a big impact in my life, and that kind of set me on my course of understanding that it's not about you. It's about the people that you have the privilege to lead. Yeah, there was a lieutenant who taught me on my deployment to Kosovo. Um, at that time, I had an OCS packet in, uh, but you know, I didn't get picked, obviously. But that's not important. The important thing was when this lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Perkins was his name. He was a tank officer. Uh, we were in a little town called uh, Partesh, protecting probably the last Orthodox Christian church in the whole province. When he heard about my OCS packet, he, he just sat down with me because he had a few minutes and 
doc is the guy you talk to, I guess. And like, we're like the free counseling for everybody. And, and he said, Jerry, I just, when you go off to OCS, he was very confident I was going to get in. He said, I want you to remember this. And it was taught to me, never mess with the three M's. And if you protect their, uh, their money, their meals and their mail, they'll take care of the mission every single time. Your NCOs will step up. They'll plan everything out. You just reviewed it. And it was just amazing. And I I carried that over into the civilian world as best I could. You know, I don't have to feed my people three times a day, but do they have what they need to take care of their physical and emotional needs? That's right. Yeah. You know, their mail. Do they have the connection to coworkers to collaborate? Do they have the connection they need with customers? Do they have the connection they need to their family? So if there's an emergency, they know they can take off and go take care of that need. And uh, so meals, money, so the paycheck, are they getting paid? Are they getting paid competitively with the market? Do they have benefits that they feel they're cared for? And, and of course, their mail. So those well, three you things. Know, and that's, that's so important because people, I, I tell people all the time, what motivates people is not money and fame, and it's not rewards. It's do they have a sense of purpose? Yeah. Can you give them, can you help them understand? And usually it's whatever make your organization unique. That's probably why they joined your organization in the first place. So if you can figure out what that is and, and what their sense of purpose is, give them a sense of purpose. Cause we all want a sense of purpose in everything we do, whether it's our job, our relationships, our hobby, whatever, we want a sense of purpose. And I think that's what motivates people. And a good leader understands that. And the only way you're going to figure that out is to get to know the people that you have the privilege to lead. And, you know, I, I you know, I always tell people, look, I understand, especially in the military, but in, in lots of places, you got to keep that leader led relationship professional. That doesn't mean that you can't get to know people on a personal basis. And I think you should. One of the pieces of advice I give all the young lieutenants that we commission out of this program, and this year we commissioned 63 out of this program. I walk up to them and I tell every one of them, I say, look, every day, go out and find one person in your organization and find out one new thing about that person. Just one, just one person, one new thing every single day. Not about work, about their personal life. What's their spouse's name, girlfriend's name, boyfriend's name? What's their kids' names? What kids, what sports do their kids play? Whatever. Find something new about them and you'll start to see that trust really start to grow between you and them. And that's what it's all about, because leadership is about people. And people, if they don't trust you, they're not going to follow you. They may still do the things you tell them to do because they have to. You're the boss. But there is a difference between a boss and a leader. And if you're a leader, they will do the things that you want them to do because they want to help. Yeah. And I remember thinking about, not thinking about, being taught about emotion, not so much emotional intelligence, but emotional capital. And when you're connecting with people on this human level, you're building right. up that capital, you're building up that trust. So when it does come time for you to have to ask your team, can you stay late to get this one project done? They're more likely to say yes, because you've built up that trust, you've built up that emotional capital. Whereas I've worked for leaders where, and this was even in the army, actually, I learned this in the army, where one of my leaders did not build emotional capital with anybody, right. not just me, who she left in the field way too long <laughs> on a training exercise. Uh, but everybody in the platoon just couldn't stand this person. So I remember a Saturday morning. A group of us had gone out and we partied and we stayed at somebody's house uh, to you know, not drive drunk home because that's a good way to not be your rank anymore. You get busted that's down. Right. Uh, they say the fastest way to, to become an E4 was to be an E5, 
and get caught with a DUI. Uh, I was like, I don't think that's it. But anyway, uh, I remember this, this sergeant, the platoon sergeant started calling people on their cell phones and it's Saturday morning. We're not at war. We all check the news. Everybody in the platoon that was in, in that home ignored the call. And except for one person, she answered and said, yes. Oh yeah, that's right. Sergeant. Oh yeah. Dugan's right here too. Uh, we'll be right there. Turns out my buddy who answered her phone, not only volunteered for a, apparently there was a, a medical coverage request that had to be filled in the next hour. Uh, and she not only volunteered herself, she volunteered me. And I was like, dang it. And, and so within an hour, we had to be geared up at the motor pool, ready to go with our, our stuff. And I'm like, dang it, dang it, dang it. But there was another NCO in that room that said, you know, her name yelled at, you know, the soldier. Um, I'm keeping her identity a secret, guys. Uh, and said, go. dang it. Um, when she calls, the answer is you've been drinking. That's right. <laughs> and you're like, what? He goes, yeah, not that you're drunk, that you've been drinking. It's a Saturday. You were on your time off. You didn't know a mission was going to be coming. You down. have a right to. Yeah. And so you, when she's asking for this extra mission on the last minute, you've been drinking, protect your time. And I was like, wow. Now he only did that because this leader had zero, in fact, probably had a negative emotional bank account with us. Whereas there was another platoon sergeant who built up a lot of emotional capital with us. That guy could ask anything from us. You would have done anything. Exactly. Yeah. And because he demonstrated time and again, that he had our best interest in mind. Uh, if, you know, He's like, but I think I think that's just as important. I mean, it's certainly important in the military, and I learned that in the military. But in my civilian life, being a leader, it's just as important there too. Uh, in fact, it may be even more important uh, because in the military, people are going to follow you because they have to. Yeah, they, they they may not do they may not have the trust and the confidence in you like they do some people, so they won't go that extra mile. But they're gonna. They have to do what you ask them to do. Yes, yeah, those four letters, UCMJ, I think. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, in the civilian world, that is not the case. So you absolutely have to build that trust and that confidence and build up that emotional credibility uh, that, you, that that they actually believe that you have their interest at heart and you're going to take care of them. And I think that that's important. You know, it, but in all my professions, since, since I've been a leader, I've been very careful that if I ask somebody to stay till eight o'clock tonight, then I make sure that they don't have to come in at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Maybe they come in at 10 or 11 or one or whatever. You know, I make up that time for them because time is important to people. And and so you have to respect that time. There, you got to get the job done. Results matter. But you can also take care of people while you're doing that as well. And, and I think good leaders understand that. Bad leaders don't. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, well, I guess we've all worked for both. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I have, yes. Uh, now, I think it's easier to recognize if we're the leader that is taking care of people. Um, you know, it just seems easier to lead, at least for me. Anytime I trusted my team, delegated my team with clarity of what needed to be done, what the guardrails were, what their decision level was in anything right. in that responsibility, they took off with it, ran, and did it better than I did. And I thought I was yeah. pretty good at the task I just delegated. And, and amazing what, what product they bring you. Oh, yeah. Uh, w- w- will they do it exactly the same way that you would have done it? No. But who cares as long as they give you what you want? Yeah. I, I tell people this, and I had a, a boss who retired a three-star general one. And he told me one time, he said, Oak, leadership is on a scale. And on this end of the scale, you got the micromanaging, 
authoritarian, do it exactly as I tell you to do it in no other way, and you hate working for that person. Nobody wants to. I've worked for that person. Nobody wants to work for that person. And on this end of the scale, you've got Attila the Hun in chaos, and you want to be as close to chaos as you can get. He said, because that's where creativity happens. That's where you're using other people's ideas, other people's knowledge, other people's skills. And the way you get there is that you give them a clear intent, what you want it to look like at the end. You give them the left and right limits. You can use this many people, this much money, these resources, this amount of time. And then you give them the authority to make it happen. And then you get out of their way. Now, that doesn't mean you wash your hands of it because you can't. As the leader, you're always responsible for everything that does or doesn't happen. But you get out of their way and let them do it. Be there to give them advice, to answer questions, to check up to make sure that they're on track. But leave them alone and let them do it the way they want to do it. And you'll be absolutely shocked at what they can do for you. Yeah. And so we see that on the productivity scale, the performance scale in the workplace. What kind of impact would you say that type of leadership style, the, the one that's closer to the chaos as you can get, what kind of impact would you say that had on your personal life and the personal realm of your life? Yeah, I, I think I, I tried to do that as well. I, growing up, my father never, ever told me I couldn't do something. He always said, son, life is about decisions and consequences. You make that decision, this is the consequence. If you think it's worth it, then you go ahead and do it. I, I did that about three times and it wasn't worth it, let me tell you. <laughs> but I quickly learned. And and so I, I tried I tried to use that. I tried to use that in my personal life as well, is that I do believe that life is about decisions and consequences. And you have to stop and think. And and again, my father told me, he said, I'm gonna help you with that dis- those decisions. He said, here's a really good way to do that. Every time you're about to make a decision, think to yourself. When I was a kid, he'd say, think to yourself, would you want your mom to know that you're about to do what you're about to do? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably a pretty good decision. Go ahead and do that. If the answer is no, then you probably re- need to rethink that decision. Man. And how many times did the answer no come up? <laughs> uh, a, a few times. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and a couple of times I, I wasn't very smart and I did it anyway. Yes. And, I, and I paid the price. Oh, man. I, I think somebody told me once, if you have to look over your shoulder before you do or say something, don't do it. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, and here the problem today with cell phones, is not, it's not just a phone, it's a camera. Yeah. So what I tell the, all these young men and women is, look, you can't do anything without somebody capturing it. So you got to really be careful. You got to really be careful what you do and really think it through. Is it, is it worth doing what you're about to do? Yeah. And then, you know, for editing purposes, I just now found the one thing I couldn't find and turn off because it just dinged. <laughs> I was like, no, I turned you off. I thought, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to find that Adobe, Adobe, you, you struck again. Uh, now if somebody is say, I guess regardless of where they are in their leadership career, because somebody could be 20 years deep in a leadership position, but never really embraced what it meant to be a leader. They just kind of do what they're told. They have high turnover rate. They have low engagement with their employees, probably low performance, but somehow get by. But you also have the brand new leader, the one that's idealistic. They're excited. Uh, They're excited probably about the paycheck, but also the potential of where they can go. Your book is about creating a leadership legacy. Uh, And so what would be the first step 
that any leader needs to do to make sure they have that foundation that they're going to build the legacy they want uh, to intentionally create versus the legacy that they wind up with because they weren't intentional. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Right. I, I think I, a couple things that you have to do, that every leader has to do if you want to have a good legacy. You got to have integrity and character. Those are non-negotiable because, uh, again, it's all about trust. You got to set the example. Never, ever, ever ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do. And you do that by setting the example. You set the standards high, but you got to set, you got to live by those standards first. You can't expect somebody else to live by the standards if you're not doing it. But then I think, you know, when I talk about legacy, I, I talk about, I think it's a two, pe- two piece, uh, two part legacy. Part of it, a very small part of it, is what you actually accomplish. Your results. Now, results matter. In the real world, results do matter. I believe that 100%. In fantasy land where everybody gets a trophy and everybody's a winner, maybe not. But in the real world where we work and we actually do things, results do matter. So a, a small part of your legacy is about what you accomplished. The largest part of your legacy is the people that you are creating, the next generation of leaders that you are creating to take over for you. And then who they create and then who they create. And I, I, I just I just gave a presentation yesterday and I, I was using that example. And I said, look, I, I just, uh, about three months ago, I got to link up with somebody who I commissioned out of my Army ROTC program back in 2007. And she's just getting ready to become a Lieutenant Colonel. You think that makes me feel a little old? Um, and I asked her, I said, so what, what's next? What do you want to do? And she told me, she said, I want to be a professor of military science at the University of South Alabama where you were the PMS and I want to run it like you did. Wow. So that's your legacy. Yes. The people that you produce who then produce the next generation of leaders because that's what leaders do. Good leaders produce leaders because that is what, what our legacy is, no doubt about it. Yeah. I remember a, a friend of mine who I wound up being his his team leader when I became a sergeant, uh, Gosh, we deployed to Kuwait right before Operation Iraqi Freedom. And this guy, it, it would have been your nightmare. And, and good guy all around. You would have loved the guy except for one thing. And that was he had this horrible, horrible ab- habit of leaving his M4 in the latrine every time. And he just lucked out for the first like three to four weeks of our deployment. As he's leaving the latrine to go to the dining facility, I just happened to be leaving the, the aid station. And I'm like 100 yards behind him or 100 feet behind him. And I'd yell his name out. He'd turn around and I would just do a gesture, uh, like air guitar, but air weapon. And yeah. he'd like immediately search himself, realize he doesn't have his weapon on him. And you'd see him sprint back to the latrine. And I, and the third time it happened, I was like, look, 
I know we're buddies, but at the same time, I'm also your leader. You do that again. I have to take corrective actions on you. And, right. and it, it'll be embarrassing, but it'll stick and it'll be within the, the guidelines of what the army will allow me to do. Um, and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, uh, I've got a lot of 550 cord. <laughs> I've seen this done before. I swear I would never do it to anybody. So don't make me do it to you. And sure enough, like three days later, maybe four days later, I'm on duty in the aid station. He comes in, he goes to parade rest. And I'm like, who's around that made this guy to go to parade rest in front of me? Like, it was just us, the two of us. Uh, And then I think the, the squad leader was in the back of the tent. And yeah, my buddy, he goes to parade rest. And he says, Sergeant Dugan, uh, first Sergeant Dinkins needs to see us in the talk, uh, bring your gear. And I'm like, why uh, it, did my orders come in? Like I was a short timer, so I hadn't been stopped right. yet. And then I looked at him and I was like, where's your weapon? Yeah. And he said, uh, top needs us in there in about one minute. I'll see you there. And he like dismissed himself. I'm like, you can't dismiss yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was like, all right, start Newton. I got to get, I got to go get chewed out. He goes, yeah, I already know. Uh, top told me already. I was like, oh gosh. He goes, well, what's your plan? I'm like, yeah, we already talked about it this morning. looks like we're doing it. And yeah, I went into the, the command center and the, the back of first sergeant's chair was facing us. And I kid you not, he spun that chair around like he was Dr. Evil petting the cat or Dr. Blofeld from James Bond. And he was petting my soldier's M4 like it was a cat. And I'm like, we are so dead. Yes. <laughs> he just said, I found this when I went to the bathroom earlier today. Then I was surprised to find out who it belonged to. How do you want to fix this, Sergeant Dugan? I was like, well, and I told him my plan. He said, all right, carry that out. Uh, anybody in this battalion can inspect the weapon and the 550 cord. So it wasn't that we just inspected to make sure he had his weapon at all times. He had to have that 550 cord on him at all times. There were two items yeah. on the track. Um, for the next few weeks, you'd hear, hey, I'm going to the chow hall. He'd stand up here, step, 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 clack, 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 clack. It was his weapon because he'd forget it. And that went on for weeks before we invaded the country and every time i we were separated now by hundreds of miles but then we got back to georgia he had this habit now ingrained in him he'd stand up walk three steps turn around and reach for a weapon that wasn't there anymore because we turned them in all that to say fast forward another decade this guy is now a um, a senior nco he's like a sergeant first class e7 so he's ranked higher than i ever was when right. i was in the army and he shares with me he's like jerry when you had me tie my weapon to myself for two weeks, I was so mad at you. I mean, we're still friends, but I was so mad at you because I had to do it, but I was mad at myself. And I swore I would never do this to anybody in the rest of my career. I was like, I feel like there's a butt here. He said, I kid you not. First deployment as a sergeant, I had a soldier do the same thing I did. And I was like, no way. He was like, and it wasn't just his M4. It was his nine mil too, because we were in an air unit. And I was like, oh my gosh. So you tied them both. He's like, I wrote verbatim the counseling statement you gave me. I was like, yeah, that amazing. I was like, I'm going to cry, man. I'm going to cry. And he, that's, <laughs> like, that's what it's all about. You know, and, and I talk about servant leadership. And when I talk about servant leadership, people say, well, you know, I, people who don't know what servant leadership really is. They say, well, I, I'm not a servant leader because I don't want people to walk all over me. I said, it, then you don't know what le- servant exactly. leadership is. It's not letting people do what they want. It's making them do what they should do, but you take care of them while you're doing it. Yeah. And sometimes you, you got to do things that they don't want to do. You got to hold them to standards. You you know, I again, I, I use this as an example. I was one of those guys. That, look, at the beginning of the day, I say, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do today. Here's the standard. If we met that standard at three o'clock, we were done. 
if we didn't meet that schedule till 10 o'clock that night, we were there till 10 o'clock that night. And so, I mean, you, you got to hold people to standards. Did they like it when they were there that late doing it? No. But I could promise you at some point in their career, some point in their life, they got it. And they understood that I was doing it for their per, for their good, not just to punish them, not to be mean, but because we needed to meet that standard. Yeah. Uh, th- I mentioned earlier there was a, a platoon sergeant I did love working with, and he did something just like that. He would give us our responsibilities for the day or for the week even and divide it up and tell us what our authority level was in each of these areas. And I think the, the average time we got out of work was 2 p.m., and nothing wrong with that. Exactly. And, and we had our stuff not only done, we had it done oftentimes above standard, which really ticked off our sister platoon because you heard a lot of, well, what about ambulance platoon? They took off at two o'clock and that platoon sergeant would stick to his guns. He said, no, I didn't dismiss them. I assigned them all to maintain their barracks. <laughs> they're like, so they're in their barracks room until five o'clock. No, because maintaining their barracks might mean they have to go to the PX. They might have to go That's to the commissary. They might have to go into the economy and visit a restaurant and get inspired to bring something back to the barracks room. It was like he, he found a way to back that up, but he did not pull back that offering. Yeah. It's like he set a standard, he set expectations, he set promises, and he had lived up to every single one of those, uh, no matter how many times people tried to undermine that. And, and everybody respected that. You know, We all learned very quickly he was not going to throw us under the bus. Yeah, because it's about taking care of people. Yeah, that's that is what leadership is about. I, yeah. I, I'm I am absolutely my forty plus years of being a leader. I am convinced through all my years watching some great leaders and learning from them and learning from some bad ones. Yeah, we have all done that. And, and I tell people all the time, you can learn just as much from a bad leader as you can from a good leader. I don't know how many times I've heard of one of my somebody who was leading me, a boss who would say something or do something and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you're like, yeah, I'm never doing that. <laughs> but right. that, that's a that's a great lesson. And you can learn just as much from that as you can from somebody who did something great. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy wound up uh, retiring as a sergeant major. You know, no surprise. I mean, he was a staff sergeant when I met him. He retired as a sergeant major. And then small world at, at that level, uh, he became good buddies with the guy who I served under two years later. The, the the one that said he knew about first sergeant having my soldier's weapon, uh, that right. was Staff Sergeant Newton. They both went through Sergeant Major School together, and like I started seeing them on Facebook posting like buddy pictures together. I'm like, how the heck do you two know each other? And they're like, we're Sergeant Majors now. That it's a small community up here. It is. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh man, and it was like. Uh, but I knew if I stayed in, I probably got myself blown up. I was that guy that always pushed the red button or tripped the wire during training, and they're like, Doc. You stand here. Why? You touch things. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Uh, now, we, we've talked a lot about you know, what it takes to be uh, a servant leader and create that legacy, how you're not a doormat when you're a servant leader. You're actually taking care of the people who take care of the mission. Healthcare gets this. Uh, well, high-performing healthcare organizations get this. And sure. you see it in things like unit-based councils. You see it in regular check-ins with their people, huddles, all those things. Um and I know you do a one-hour keynote where you, you convey a lot of these messages for leadership teams. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you and book you for their next leadership development event, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, so I have a website. Um, and on my website is my cell phone number and my email address. So either call me or send me an email. 
And uh, I just had one yesterday. Give me sent me an email from my website. So um, either that, either way of that, I'm also on social media. Main social media I use is LinkedIn. I think that's how we met, yep. Jerry, uh, LinkedIn. And um, and you could always reach out and touch and talk to me on that as well. But but my website has my cell phone number, it has my email address, it has all my social media. So you you can connect with me on any of that as well. Awesome. And then before we go, any final words of wisdom you want to leave our listeners? Yeah. So I, I, this is the thing. One of the things I, I try to impart on everybody is as a leader, you are going to make a difference in somebody's life every single day. Every day you are going to impact somebody's life. Make a conscious decision to at least one person make a positive difference in their life every day. In the Catholic Church, we call that the holy moment. You know, one day find one person, make a difference. Imagine how much better our communities, our neighborhoods, our nation would be if everybody in this country picked one person, made one positive difference every day. I love that. Oh, it was great to have you on this show, to have this conversation with you, to get to talk to you again. Because I remember the first conversation we had, I was like, man, I just met a really cool guy. Um, so great to have well, you I'm on I'm looking here. forward to continued conversations. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I see a lot of overlap in the future. So I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Now, I hope you got a lot out of that conversation like I did. I mean, I, I had to keep an eye on the time because if I didn't, this was going to be easily a two-hour episode, a combination of reminiscing about our Army stories, as well as the leadership lessons we learned. And it was really great and refreshing to hear from his perspective as an officer, because I was a, a non-commissioned officer, a sergeant, when I was serving the Army, and I could see where a lot of my leadership style was influenced by officers like him, as well as senior non-commissioned officers like uh, like him. Now, if you want to learn more and connecting with Oak, uh, just check out the show notes. The link is in the description of however you're watching or listening this episode. And from there in the show notes, you'll find links to his website, his social media, and related episodes to leadership, finding balance, and creating legacy. Now, if you have never taken the time to find out who you are, what your core values are, and what your vision for your leadership career and your life are, then I encourage you to download my free tool, Measure It to Make It. It'll walk you through defining your life success in the areas of your five Fs, uh, your faith, your family, your fitness, your finances, and your future possibility. And to get that, just go to beyondtherut.com slash goals, and you'll have that free workbook to help you iron that out, create some goals that mean something to you, and create that leadership legacy that you want. Now, I enjoyed spending time with you in this episode, and I look forward to spending time with you again in the next one. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.